Before we get to today's show, I want to let you know about something fun and exciting going on. I'm hosting a new podcast called The Game Day Playbook, presented by FanFood. It's a podcast that discusses how leaders are transforming the sports and live entertainment industry by leveraging technology to enhance the fan experience and operate game day more efficiently. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. I had FanFood CEO Carson Goodale on episode 329 of the Sports Marketing Huddle. We vibed, and it led to us working together. If you enjoy the forward-thinking perspectives that this podcast offers, then give the Game Day Playbook a listen. Our guest list so far has been straight fire. We had the head of technology for the LAFC, the MLS team, come on to talk about how they have one of the most technologically advanced stadiums in the country and the things that allows them to do from a fan engagement standpoint. We also had World Series champion with the Red Sox and current host of Intentional Talk on MLB Network, Kevin Millar, on to talk about technology in baseball and if he's in favor of robot umpires. I used the same formula for creating the sports marketing huddle that I did with the game day playbook. So check it out and let me know what you think. You can hit me up at Rob Cressy on all social media platforms. I'd love to hear from you. Now time for the show. Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me today is Matt Spasta, founder and chief revenue officer at the Crown League. Matt, super excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Really pumped to be here. What's going on, Rob? So can you give a quick overview on who you are and what you do? Sure. Happy to do it. Yeah. So I'm Matt Spasta. As you mentioned, I'm one of the co-founders of the Crown League. Crown League was a concept that we came up with about two years ago. Uh, I joined forces with two guys in my high stakes fantasy league, and we really connected over our passion for fantasy sports, realized there was a huge opportunity in the space that the entire industry had been missing out on. Um, you know, there's a huge tie in esports would have been going on in that space. And in the same way that esports institutionalized video gaming and really created a unified national platform, we're essentially doing the same thing with fantasy sports. Uh, really excited to tell you more about it, but just a little bit about me. My background has been about 12 years on Wall Street. Uh, I left uh, a mature book of business at uh, Wells Fargo and some previous other large banks behind pursue my passion in sports and sports media full time. So uh, about a year ago, I left, uh, I left my longstanding career, had a second baby on the way. My wife told me I was nuts. And I said, I got to chase my passion. So here I am today. So let's just actually briefly talk about that. Your wife telling you that you're nuts because I very much relate to everything that you just said, because I left a multiple six figure job to essentially live my dreams of working in sports and being creative. And I landed in the world of sports and media and marketing and support of family is important, but not everybody understands the mindset of an entrepreneur because we're cut from a different cloth. And for me, you only get one opportunity at this life. And the reason I quit my job is because I never wanted to regret not giving it a shot at making my dreams happen. So sort of take me into that dynamic because it's a challenging one. Yeah, we're dreamers, right? And, and that's, we're always shooting for the moon. And I think my, my family is really supportive. My wife has always trusted me implicitly. And, you know, when, when I saw this path, 
Um, I had been um, working on the Crown League for about eight months up until this point. And there was a point where I was out raising capital for our Series A round. And I was sitting across the table from people I would have killed with for a meeting in my previous career. And I was pitching something that I created, something that I was passionate about. And I was like, I'm in the right place. And it's like, you get one shot at that. You get that one opportunity. I would have been crazy not to pursue it. And I did. And you know what? I paved a new path forward. And I look back on Wall Street. I'm like, I would never go back there. I mean, it's changed the person I am. It's changed the way I look at things. It's changed my outlook on life, on business. It's changed the way I interact with my family. And I feel like I'm a much better person for it. So. That's awesome. And I completely agree. My mom would say, well, Rob, why don't you just go back to selling advertising where you can make nice money? And I'm like, sorry, mom, that life is over for me. So you can just sort of close that door and not bring it up again because I'm not going back. It's not about that. It's, it's about what gets you up in the morning. And, and outside of my family, I mean, the Crown League has re-energized me in ways that I would have never understood in my previous world. So like, you know, I've been doing this balls to the wall for like two years. And I tell people all the time, I have never gotten burnt out. And the way I work, I mean, you, got, you have to see my work ethic, obviously. Um, I was birthed on a Wall Street desk, on a trading desk. I got my ass kicked for several years. So I have really strong work, work ethic and discipline. Uh, but I apply the same thing. And when you find a company, when you start a business and I, you have 23 employees like I do, you have what's called founder's burden. There's nothing like founder's burden because you are always concerned about your business, your employees, your own family, and your future, and, uh, and the future of everyone else. So there's really something that, that has to be said uh, for, for starting a company, owning a company, and having that founder's burden. But in the same way that I never have burnt myself out, it's because I love what I do. I wake up every morning excited, energized, wanting to go out, working my ass off, and killing myself to do what I love. I completely agree. Despite that, that does not mean that you and I have a linear path to success. And this is probably one of the most challenging parts of being a founder. You wake up and you're like, boom, I love what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, everything does not go as planned. <laughs> so what I wanted to dig into a little bit more is what's cooking with a crown league? Because when I found out about the concept, I really liked it. I love fantasy sports. I love sports betting. Uh, I'm someone who's very forward thinking in how I see community building, fan engagement, the relationship between sports and fans and teams. And I know from my own journey, I've had, I wouldn't say that they were intentional pivots, but there's been an evolution of bacon sports in my brand from starting out as a sports publisher to throwing a few events with 700 plus people at them to slowly evolving into a company that works with brands to create content and tell stories. And they're like, well, Rob, are you an agency or did you set out to create an agency? And the answer is no. If we go back to the core of this, all I wanted to do was talk sports for a living and yeah. there's a circuitous route to making that happen. So give me a little insight sort of into the nonlinear path and sort of the pivots from your process. Yeah. So, uh, anyone who's trying to do anything big and innovative, there's no straight path. And anyone who's ever been successful, uh, you've heard the stories, they've failed multiple times. Um, the crown league is a big idea and we took a huge swing. And from the beginning it was 
always going to require a lot of capital and a lot of manpower to really execute on what we're doing. Uh, we were very fortunate in our first year. We got uh, we got we secured funding from um, family, friends and families, high net worths, and some institutions. And uh, you know the the Crown League at its core. The reason why we created it is because. Um, pro sports ownership is one of the most highly coveted thing. Everyone wants to be a billionaire who's looking down at their team. Win, win or lose, they know they're still making money. So we set out to build the Crown League. Our core principles was really democratizing the ownership of professional sports. And we were going to do this by creating the first national fantasy football league. Uh, and we're doing that in a way where we have 12 professional franchises that all compete in this league together. And, you know, we really took it the next, the next step further where esports and, and pro sports hadn't done it, similar to the Green Bay Packers model we actually fractionalize the teams and we're selling them to the public and in that way the public has a piece to own a piece of a franchise be an equity owner and also uh, be entitled to the pro rata share of the profits of those teams the teams actually make money in the same way that pro sports do advertising sponsorship merchandise sales live event sales content etc etc when we first set out on this journey um, this this was uh, in uh, September of 2018 this is when um, uh, sorry, 2017. This is really at the height of the blockchain craze. And we looked at blockchain and we looked at uh, tokens and the way that enables, um, you know, distributed ledger technology, um, democratization of, of ownership and things like that. And we saw an opportunity to really leverage this, this really exciting technology to bring our concept to life. Um, the back-end technology supporting it would have created efficiencies, would have created uh, frictionless transactions in a way that um, it, it would have created this uh, experience that would have never been possible prior to that. So um, we had this advantage of kind of being at the intersection of a few really hot spaces, esports, uh, blockchain, uh, and fantasy. And when we took it out to market, we were very successful in raising capital. In our first two rounds, we raised $5.75 million uh, of equity capital. As I mentioned, it was from small institutions, high net worths, and family offices. And at the time, it was just three founders. This was uh, May of last year. And we were on top of the world. And you know, when you're raising capital and people, uh, and you have momentum and people are really behind you, it's one of the most exciting things in the world. But again, uh, entrepreneurship and startups are, are never just a straight line to success. So. Um, more about our path after we raised that capital, we started building a team and really scaling up our organization in a meaningful way. Um, around September, October of last year, uh, a few things happened that gave us pause and decided that we need to go a different direction. And this is right around the time that the crypto market collapsed. Um, the SEC had really frowned upon the industry and, and was not willing to provide guidance around security token uh, approval. And at that point, we looked at the industry and said, hey, look, this technology is not, not as far along as we would have hoped. And we decided to pivot away from crypto and blockchain technology and move to a pure securitized equity model. So that was our first big pivot. And that was about 10 months ago. And that really set us back about six months and was really costly in, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Question for you, the burden of capital. So we've talked about founders burden, but oftentimes sure. it's an entrepreneurship, which is glamorized on so many different levels. There's the glamorization of raising capital where all of a sudden you raise capital and it's like, boom, you are successful now. You're living the life of your dreams. And it's something that on my end, uh, I've never considered raising capital because I always thought of it for me as gasoline on a fire where sure. I, I'm building this and I didn't want it to be something 
that was in my mindset almost uh, an excuse for why I hadn't succeeded at the level that I had. And it's not saying that that's what you guys were doing in my own mindset. I was like, listen, I need a business model that's churning and burning. And if, and when it gets to the point, cool, then we'll consider something like that. But talk, talk to me about what it's like when you get capital and now the responsibility that you have, because that is someone else's money. And Oh, by the way, that's a lot of money. Yeah, there's uh there's also a false sense of validation. It's just because people have invested in you doesn't mean you're successful. It means that you've been successful in raising capital. Um, the most important thing is is deploying that capital intelligently. And yeah, there there's definitely a burden. There's a there's an investor burden too that you have to manage relationships with your investors. We were really careful about how we structured our organization, how we hired people. Um, and and again, as I mentioned, what we were doing is really big. So it was important to us to really scale this. Uh, organization up meaningfully. Um, with that being said, it's it's every time that there's a pivot in the business model, it's really important to get buy-in from your investors too. So there's this really intimate relationship that you have with your lead investors, with you have with um, you know your entire cap table, um, which is, which is unique and, and extremely dynamic. So it's it's really important that you nurture those relationships, that you stay close to your investors because they're ultimately the the support, the life support uh, of your organization long term. And uh, you find that out when you go out to raise additional rounds of capital, who's actually participating in, in the follow-on rounds and how they truly feel about your business. When raising capital, how much time as opposed to working on your business gets allocated to that? Does this become the new full-time job? I know you mentioned you started with uh, three founders for the company there. So is that something that one person does or the whole team or talk to me about sort of the time allocation of building the business while at the same time trying to raise capital. Yeah. So when we raised our series A round, we had a ton of momentum. We had the wind at our sales, the crypto market was hot and we probably raised a $5 million round. And I'd say we had 95% of the capital committed in about six weeks. Uh, it was a fun and exciting time. We walked away from meetings with people saying, Hey, we want to participate in this round and we're willing to invest as much as you'll take. I mean, you don't hear that very often. It's like one of those moments where it's like, holy shit, reality check. And it's exciting. But again, you have to like rein it in a bit and say, okay, let's take a step back and let's, you know, reassess where we are. We still haven't accomplished as much as we need to, to really get this product out to consumers. Um, so our first round, our series A round, um, you know, was... Uh, this really exciting round where it, we wrapped it up really quickly and we had a ton of support. Our, our, our follow-on round, which is our Series A1, we've been in the market with for about six months and it's been a very different offering. Um, we, uh, you know, like I said, we wrapped up our previous round in six weeks. We didn't have the support of a lot of our investors from the Series A round because when we did pivot, uh, when we pivoted off the blockchain, uh, a lot of our investors were there for the blockchain and the crypto element to it. And a lot of that was taken out. And once that was removed, uh, our lead investors from the previous round weren't necessarily willing to step up in this round. So the offering has been very different. We did get participation from a lot of our existing investors, but it was really important for us to go out and identify a new lead for this round to support the business in this round and also in future rounds. How do you emotionally deal with these swings or pivots as a business owner? Uh, I'm, I'm very level-headed. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. The founder's dynamic 
you find you have many uh, clashing personalities and we've done a really good job of complementing each other in these areas. Um, so I, I always try to stay positive, head down and just continue to bust my ass and, and you know, work towards the ultimate goal. So what can we expect in the next year from the Crown League? Or at least yes. what are you going to be working on? Yeah, so the expectation is that the Crown League was going to launch for the 2019 NFL season. Uh, we actually decided to really take a step back from our business and assess uh, were we positioned to really launch the league in the way that we wanted to for the season. And, and we made an internal decision that um, we wanted to push the launch of the league out to next year. And, you know, it, to a lot of people, it was disappointing, but I think ultimately it was the right decision. You get one shot at launching this thing, and, you know, I feel really good about it, and as the, does the team and, and the, the rest of the founders. And, you know, we're excited to, to, to really focus on some key elements around capital raising, develop proof points throughout this NFL season, and to really fine-tune our product so we have our, our app completed submitted to the App Store and really enhance our gameplay and our features and our experience and, and get it to a really good place for the launch of next season. How do you work on patience? Patience. Because um, even, even, even if we look at this, what's going on in the next year? So it's being delayed for a year. So there's an element of patience. This, this thing, and I agree, you want to, you're only going to launch once. And as an entrepreneur, we want to go as fast as we can. We want to see success, but things don't always happen on our timetable. So there's an element of patience that you have yeah. to have in this nonlinear entrepreneurial path because some people will give up because they're not patient enough to let the process happen. You can't really control the timeline. You can only control your actions. Yeah, and for me, it was tough because I, I move a million miles per minute and I, I had 200 lines in the water at any given time. And to really go back to all these people and let them know what was going on was, was really a challenge for me because I, uh, I was going full steam ahead. Uh, for me, it's less about patience and it's more about confidence. If you're confident in what your plan is, you really get behind it in a way that says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm confident, I'm comfortable, and I feel good about the decision. If you're not comfortable with the decisions you're making, then it's, it's less about patience and it's more about, um, you know, how, do you feel comfortable and confident that we're going to be able to launch this for next season? Um, when, when we sat down at the table and we said, hey, we – do we really feel good about pushing the season out? We came together and we, we came to a consensus and it really took for us to make an educated and informed decision about we're better off launching for next season. And, and once you get behind that, you have to just stay the course. And that's really what it's about. So it's less about patience. It's more about confidence, I think. I love that. And when I think about confidence, for me, confidence is earned. It's something yep. that you put in the work. So for example, I just got done uh, with a mental toughness challenge called 75 hard. And what it is, is every day I had to put in my dues for 75 straight days. And by the end of it, I earned my confidence because I know I, I knew I put in the work. It doesn't mean that because I'm confident, all the results are always going to work out my way. Sure. People say, how do you become more confident? The way you become more confident is by doing and by doing you totally. learn and that's how it happens. And quite frankly, I'm never going to stop working on my confidence because the more that I can do, the more confidence that you're going to have. And when you're confident, great things happen. 
Oh, it's amazing. It's uh, so my CEO is a serial entrepreneur. He's been doing it for about 25 years. He's uh, he's at four four startup from the ground businesses. And when we first started this thing, he's like, I wish I had a camera on you guys. He was talking to uh, uh, myself and, and my other partner who are first time founders. He's like, I wish I had a camera on you now and every three months along the way. So you could just see your growth. You don't realize it because you're knee deep in this stuff. And um, when I think about my experience over the last two years, I think about my experience on Wall Street and how I communicated with clients and how I work with, um, you know, some big investors and things like that. And I was always really confident about uh, myself and presenting in those meetings, but I've come light years from where I, I was previously. And even in the beginning of this, when I would go out and I pitch investors, I was really nervous and I, I was uh, uncomfortable in meetings. But with more reps, you gain confidence. And I look back on even the last year and the confidence that I built up in the first year doing this. You know, I was walking into meetings with some of my idols, some of my heroes, some of the most high profile people who I would have been scared shitless in previous meetings. But when you develop a confidence in what you're selling, what you're pitching, you can talk to anyone. So I find myself sitting, I, I, I was sitting in a meeting with David Stern, the former commissioner for two and a half hours, talking about you know starting a league from the bottom up. And he was telling me stories about, he was the seventh employee at a startup called the NBA ones. And it was like, it's just amazing. And like, you know, I wouldn't have been in that position had I not had the confidence to reach out to him, to set up a meeting, um, to walk into his office, like I belong there. And, you know, some of those stories I reflect on, I think it's, it's really important. It's confidence you build on each previous experience. And, you know, once you get to a certain position, you can, you can walk into any room, you could jump on any phone call and you could have any single meeting and feel really good about it. I think this is a very delicate balance because we're, we can be the most confident people in the world. But I think one thing that a lot of entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurs, including myself, may struggle with is actually seeing your gifts because they come so natural to us and we do the things that we don't give ourselves credit for the journey that has gotten us to this point to become the confident people that we are because we're always chasing that carrot that's in front of us. And for me, I think two, two words that really stand out are two phrases are self-love and permission. I think as an entrepreneur, it can be hard sometimes to allow yourself to have self-love because you're on this perpetual journey of more without embracing the journey. And I think for me, uh, a big pivot in my mindset was when I realized I need to em embrace this journey and not say the only way that I'm successful is when I'm at the top of that mountain. And because of it, like we initially said, enjoying every single day and then really giving myself permission to do these things or feel comfortable talking to David Stern or putting myself and saying, you know what? I do belong here because it's really the own narrative that we have in our own heads. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, you could develop a certain complacency when you're just kicking ass for like an extended period of time. I think it's, it's always taken for me to be humbled, to really feel like I've had true learning experiences and I could continue growing. So it takes for getting rejected, getting humbled in, in different, different ways for you to say, okay, I've been doing a really awesome job up to this point. Maybe I'm not perfect. And that's the time where you could sit down, take a step back and reflect and really think about how to keep working towards uh, your goal and keep working on yourself because I think that's really important. So I think it takes, I think it's important and uh, along your journey to really take a step back and reflect. And I think that's how you continue to grow. 
a really good book about this. It's called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke, who is a uh, professional poker player. And what she talks about is resulting. And a great example of this is you get pocket aces. And pocket aces are the best best, uh, cards you can have in uh, Hold'em. But guess what? Pocket aces doesn't always win. So if you do pocket aces, you go all in and you lose. Does that mean you should not do pocket aces moving forward? No, you made the correct decisions to get to that point. Unfortunately, the result didn't work out in your favor. And in entrepreneurship and in life, you can very often think the same way of, did I make the correct decisions? Yes, I did. Hey, this deal didn't work out, but I would do things the exact same way again. Yeah, I, I, you know, I always say it's the the most the most difficult points in in your career and your business are always inflection points that you're going to look back and and see that you created a new path forward from. And you know that happened to me when I decided to leave my career on Wall Street. It happened to us when we pivoted off of blockchain. It's happening right now as we're really thinking through what our next steps look like. But you know, you these are always, as I mentioned, the positions uh, where you feel most humbled and you have the ability to reflect and really grow from. And and that's what I'm most excited about. And for you to 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 realize that when something happens it's not the end of the world and it's usually just a stepping stone. And, you know, I even think back on some of the changes and pivots that we had throughout our business. And I look back and, you know, a week later, I thought it was the end of the world. A week later, we had already forgotten about it and moved forward and we were better for it. So that's really, that's really the entrepreneurial path, but that's really anyone's path in life. It's really learning from your experiences and, uh, and it's all part of the journey. There's no straight line to success. As we wrap this up, do you have one piece of advice that you've been given that has really resonated with you along your journey that you can share with others? You know, it's, it's really challenging. I don't think there's one piece of advice. I think it, it's little tidbits that you learn along the way. But, um, you know, I think it, just really reflecting on what I keep talking about is being humbled. Being humbled is, you know, for a lot of people, you develop a certain ego. Um, and I think at some point, it's, it's, it's really um, being self-aware is, is really important in, in your maturation and your growth along your career. Because if you can't take a step back and really reflect on the good and the bad, it's going to be really challenging to, to really identify what your path forward looks like. Totally agree. When I became self-aware, it is the biggest game changer in your entire (laughs) life. And quite frankly, it is the gift that I wish I could give every single person. Because once you understand self-awareness, and for me, self-awareness happened when I went from making six figures to making zero dollars. And I realized, holy crap, all of success is now on me. And if I'm not accountable to every single aspect of my life, then I'm not going to be successful And actually, a great book uh, about ego is by Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy. And I completely agree with you on the be humbled part of it because really, we've we've all got an ego inside of us that is saying things. And the more that you can be humble and self-aware about everything, the better it's going to be. Yeah. And I think there's also a direct tie in with everything I've been talking about. And also a word you just mentioned, accountability. Accountability is so important. Self-accountability, accountable to others. I think it's really important. And that's part of the humbling process. Matt, I really enjoyed this conversation and I am definitely a big fan of you and what you're building at the Crown League. Where can everybody connect with you? 
Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Matt Spasta, at Matt Spasta. That's with one T, M-A-T-S-P-O-S-T-A. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You could check out the Crown League. You got the Crown League handle on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, as well as our website, thecrownleague.com. And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. Did it cause you to think or take action? Do you have one nugget of advice that has really resonated from you or for you on your journey? You can hit me up at Rob Cressy everywhere, including LinkedIn, and I'll share anything good that gets sent in. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Sports Marketing Huddle, the number one thing you can do to support us is tell your friends about it. We believe in organic growth, and if you get value out of the free podcast we deliver, then we'd appreciate if you share on social media. If you're looking for some creative sports marketing resources, you can sign up for my newsletter at robcressy.com. I drop bite-sized nuggets of wisdom to get your juices flowing.